Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 10, Detox, featuring Jenny from Brooklyn, New York. And today, it's November 5th, 2022. Before I start this episode, because it's an international listen-to podcast, I want to explain the brands that will be discussed of benzodiazepines and their generic names. In my country, the Netherlands, we tend to use the generic names. Valium, generic name, diazepam. Ativan, generic name, lorazepam. Xanax, generic name, alprazolam. Clonopin, generic name, clonazepam. Hi, Jenny. Welcome. Hi, Nap. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. It's afternoon. That's when I get okay. Great, great. Yeah, it's 8.30 here, my time. So it's evenings here. Thank you for doing the interview. Of course. So would you share with us why you were prescribed a benzo? Uh, Yes, it was in uh, the spring of 2021. And of course, we had all been through the pandemic. And I had to close my business, which was a shop and a, a boutique. And and I brought I brought it online. I was working it that way, and that was fine, but not at all like what it had been. It was very isolated when you do it online, and um, and then a series of sort of difficulties cropped up over t- the past couple of years before that: a death in the family, a separation, all kinds of different things, and they were manageable. Um, but after the pandemic and the business closing, the structure of my life was very different. And I have a daughter who was struggling a lot and, uh, other, like many sort of, it was a perfect storm of difficulties. And, um, I began to develop an insomnia, an inability to stay asleep. I could fall asleep, but I would only sleep for a few hours and then I would wake up and then I would just be awake. And then that kind of snowballed and I got a lot of anxiety from it because it was hard to function in the day. And I would, (laughs) I'm a swimmer. And so I would wake up as I'm such a um, routinized person. I do everything on a routine. So I would wake up and be awake at three in the morning and then wait for the swimming pool to open and go swimming. And by the time I got home from that, I'd be exhausted and sleep in the middle of the day. And then it was hard to work. And it just like everything got worse and worse. I tried everything, you know, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, um, not going swimming, resting, turning off screens, all kinds of stuff. And it just didn't, work it was just too much it sort of like was too much piled on at once so my anxiety was just getting to be a regular thing every day and um I would talk to my brother on the phone and finally you know and my friends and and then finally everybody was like maybe you need to go to a doctor 
and talk to them about this because it's just going on for so long. And I said, okay. And I went to a doctor and the doctor said I should go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> so I went to a psychiatrist and she was just like, you need this, this, and this. And she just made a list of, you know, I needed uh two or three medications to try and if they didn't work we would stop so the medication she initially gave me was xanax and i think a type of ssri i can't remember if it was fexor or something like this and um and the other medications weren't they were supplements so she was giving me magnesium and vitamin b12 and all kinds of supplements that were like from a very expensive um supplement manufacturer so i got all the stuff she told me to get so i could get better <laughs> and i took it every day and how, how much um xanax were you prescribed initially initially it was actually i think kind of a lot compared to other people that i have heard about but it was one milligram twice a day in the morning and in the evening and then the other medication was once a day and the, the supplements were various doses. And um, so I noticed that when I took the Xanax, I immediately relaxed. It was immediate. So I could tell which medication was doing that and it was the Xanax. So, and then I stayed on that for a month and I stayed on the SSRI and I really, couldn't tell what was doing what and so I just kept going but it wasn't too long before those anxieties and the insomnia wasn't really helped by any of the medication and the anxieties crept back in but I was able to maintain my mood with the medication so I still wasn't sleeping well but I was feeling better for a while a short while maybe a month six weeks and then in about six weeks you know we have these different follow-up checkups I think they were every three weeks so she could see how I was doing and I was saying you know at first it was good but then it started to come back and she was like well we just need to up your dosage of the Xanax and and to make a long story short over the course of the next eight months, she kept checking in with me. She would change the SSRI multiple times um, and she would just up the dose that was of the benzodiazepine, which is the Xanax. At this time, I knew nothing about these drugs. I never thought to look them up or investigate them because I was sort of very busy with my business and my child and my life and <laughs> a million other things that go on with all of us. And, um, and I just uh, would say, I, I don't know, I, I'm feeling just as anxious as I was before at first it helped, but to, so throughout, she just would say, well, then you need one milligram three times a day. And then it turned into, I'm going to give you two milligram pills and you're going to take them twice a day. So then it was four milligrams. And by the time we got to December, I was on six milligrams of Ativan per day. And- How did you get um, from the Xanax to the Ativan though? Oh, I'm sorry. So she, at one point, it, one of the side effects of this type of medication is pretty bad brain fog. 
But I think a lot of people would say that even the pandemic caused a kind of brain fog because your structure is pulled out from under you. It's, you know, we were isolated and what do you call it on lockdown for several months, at least three or four months. So it was like you lose track of time, you lose track of the date. You're no mm -hmm. longer getting dressed up and going out. You're in your yoga pants and sweater. Oh, I was in my like pajama all day, yeah. <laughs> all day, because so, I wasn't going anywhere, you know, comfort over yeah. style. No one's seeing me anyway. So yeah, get it. Right. And not just that. It's like every day, like what's the difference between a weekend and a weekday, you know? And so when, when so I did skip the fact that she moved me from Xanax to Ativan because I couldn't tell you when I'm sure I can go back and look at medical records, but I no, don't it's fine. Know, but, but so, so the Ativan was prescribed to you to kind of prevent brain fog from the Xanax. No, no, no. I was saying I have brain fog and I can't remember you. You said, Oh, you get sorry. Okay. Like, okay. Sure uh, okay. That's but, uh, okay. I have the same. I have the same. So at some point you go from the Xanax to the Ativan. Did you notice anything different or do you have some sort of memory? Well, the, the reasoning behind it was um, that I was coming back to the checkups and saying that I didn't feel better or whatever. And her reasoning was, well, I have this other medication, which is identical to the Xanax, but it lasts longer in your system. So you will, you know, maybe you won't need to up your dose, but you'll use this. And, you know, subsequently, I've done so much research on this medication. And it is true, you know, Xanax is supposed to last in your system for two to four hours out of is supposed mm -hmm. to last in your system, four to eight hours, whatever. So mm -hmm. that so that switch, no, I didn't notice anything substantially different uh honestly at all because the thing was that throughout so that was about april to december and throughout the whole time only was that first six weeks where i really actually felt some pretty obvious relief but after that it was sort of like this bumpy ride of like okay i i, I we up the medication amount I feel a little bit better but that would last like a week and then I just go back into having anxiety and and actually it felt worse and this is really I've heard this so many times um, from other people who were on benzos that um, typically the, the the problem that they got the medication for in the first place which is generally very common for insom insomnia or anxiety or both that problem would get worse over time and worse than it ever was before so that was i was interpreting that as me getting worse that i was having a worse time with my own anxiety and sleeplessness and in retrospect that's not the case it's uh i think it's called a rebound effect it's like yeah you you get the medication it affects your neurological uh, abilities to manage without the medication your brain no longer <clears throat> can step in and soothe the nervous system and help you sleep because it's been sort of hijacked by this medication but i didn't know that at the time so and i'm under the care of a professional psychiatrist who's very expensive and you know, I'm thinking, wow, 
you know, I'm just worse. Wow, this is crazy. I'm getting worse and worse. I never suspected it could be the medication. But I decided in late December that I wanted a second opinion. And I got it from another doctor. And uh, he pointed out that I was on a high dose of benzodiazepines. And I had never, because, you know, you might take melatonin or some kind of natural sub, uh, supplement, and it could be 300 milligrams of vitamins, or you could take a Tylenol, it could be 450 milligrams. So knowing that I was on six milligrams of Ativan didn't register to me as a lot or a little, or I had no way to evaluate how much of that was a lot, you know? So yeah, I had the I, same with I, my first benzo that I took for a longer period of time. That was 10 times stronger than Valium. And I didn't know. So yeah, right. Well, that's something we've spoken about before, which is if somebody had told me that my medication was pretty much the same thing as Valium, I would have been approaching the whole thing so differently because Valium is a familiar name of drug to me. And I know that it's a drug that people get addicted to or dependent on. And I also know that it's bad for the brain in a similar way than alcohol. And I probably would have been really hesitant to even take it in the first place. And I'm, I've, I've, I think when I looked up benzodiazepines for the first time after I spoke to this doctor and saw that they were, you know, Clonopin, Valium, Ativan, Xanax, they're all in the same family. I, I was sort of floored because, you know, and I, a lot of, there's so many psychological, you know, aspects to this because I kind of felt bad about myself. Like, why didn't I look stuff up? I'm just taking pills that somebody's giving me blindly trusting them and why didn't I google it it's so easy just hop on the computer and google it why didn't I do that and I just you know looking back I wish I did but I didn't I was too busy and I was too trusting and so yeah I think I, that's the major issue that we trust our doctors or psychiatrists whoever is you know prescribing us these pills you know if they would be lethal or extremely damaging then maybe they wouldn't be able to Absolutely. prescribe these drugs. That was kind of my thought. And I remember when I found out everything, I felt scammed. You know, my Me trust too. was broken. I was like, what? What is this? How can I be harmed by something that a doctor gave me? So yeah, Absolutely. I totally get it. Yeah, I think many of us have the same thing. I mean, I really got um, that reaction in myself that you describe as feeling scammed and everything when I went immediately and contacted my prescriber my psychiatrist at our next appointment and said look I looked into the medication I'm on and <clears throat> you know ultimately what I've been reading is that it's not meant to be taken over a long period of time it's something to be used in case of an emergency for example you're getting on an airplane and you're phobic but you really need to make a trip you take a pill you know mm -hmm. and then you 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 are on your return flight you take a pill two weeks later and that's okay and actually 
benzos can be used for those things. If you're phobic to go to the dentist, you can take a pill to calm mm -hmm. yourself, to, to get the dental work done. Or, you know, you um, have a, a severe trauma. They will give you five pills and take one a day and that's it for five days mm -hmm. and after that you're on your own you've got to deal with this trauma on your own but we're gonna soften you know this shock for you there are uses for this but they are very short term use extremely short term use or completely sporadic use like one pill for one event that you have to do that gives you too much anxiety mm -hmm. so that that's exactly how they're supposed to be used and any other form of prescribing them is wrong you know, it, it, you're how not did she or he or she react to when you, horribly. you know, she, oh. she literally was like, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you. If you can't, you know, if you think you're getting these symptoms, I think she was, I think she was, um, I think a lot of doctors, unfortunately, they're, ha you know, work through ego and pride, it's very um, disappointing because that is not appropriate. You know, they should have a listening ear and they should be professional. And I think if you ever doubt them, they can sometimes react egoically. And she certainly did. She she got really, you know, offended and to some degree that I was doubting her and her how she prescribed it to me. And she was like, if you're dependent on this, you know, and you think that's what's causing you to be sick, well then I can't, I can't help you with that. You need probably to go into some program or you can reach out to the clinic I work for and try to find another carer. It was, I was like, are you joking? I, I was literally like, are you joking? The, you gave me this medication. You put me on it. You should know every angle about this medication. Mm -hmm. And you don't know that it's a medication that people get physically dependent on. And you don't know how to help me to get off of it. Is this and it's so deflective. Like, it's so yeah. deflective. Like, okay, so maybe I made you sick or physically dependent, but you go somewhere else to deal with that. It's insane. Yeah. The good thing was that when I called the clinic, I was I told them the story and they were very apologetic and they immediately gave me to a different uh, psychiatrist and they waived the, um, you know, introduction fee or whatever it is, the intake fee and all that and just said, mm -hmm. she'll take care of you. But OK, so when I got into the Internet and looked up uh, information about what was going on with me, and found out that probably a lot of the um, increased increase in the anxiety and <clears throat> and the problem with with continuing with my insomnia and I was also having lack of appetite and crying for no reason, weird mood swings, um, a lot of sort of trembling or shaking that I couldn't figure out what that was about. I thought it had to do with not being able to sleep. But once I opened up the internet, I learned so much about that this was probably called interdose withdrawal. And that I was my body, I'm a pretty slim person, and I have a high metabolism, very high. And I, I really truly think my body just takes in this medication and just burns it up really quick. And so that's why I was getting tolerant to it it's just like a person like i don't drink or do drugs so if i 
if I had a drug, a recreational drug or a big cocktail or something, I'm immediately drunk, you know, because mm -hmm, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have a tolerance to alcohol, but if I drank a cocktail every single day for a month, I'm sure the next month I'd need two cocktails to feel that much of an mm -hmm. effect. And that's mm -hmm. what happens even with prescription medications like these, we build a tolerance to it. At first it works because our bodies never felt this before, but after a while you become tolerant. And so you take the pill, and it doesn't do anything and mm -hmm. you and you and and yet your body has shifted into this gear of like we don't have to calm your nervous system we don't have to provide the chemicals that will soothe you and allow you to fall asleep because we have this other medicine coming in so we've closed up shop and we're letting mm -hmm. the medicine do the work and and i'm saying it in a very <clears throat> simplistic way but it's an actual physiological um process that happens your body does your brain does stop sending the signal to produce mm -hmm. serotonin and norepinephrine and all the positive calming chemicals to your nervous system so when you're without right. the medication you go into complete raw nervousness because yeah. your body's not making it and the chemicals not doing enough so you get this thing called interdose withdrawal, which I was definitely having, which was I would take the pill. I was tolerant to it. So it wasn't working. I would wait around for it to kick in. It would never kick in and my body wouldn't kick it in. So I was in anxiety, a state of heightened anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. And that just grows. The longer you take the medication, it just grows and grows and it's overwhelming. So I knew I had to get off of it. I had the new psychiatrist and that's when I had found the Ashton manual, which I think you've told your listeners several times about, which is, you know, a woman who was a professor of psychopharmacology in England. And she, you know, did all of her writing and papers and theses on benzodiazepines and the withdrawals and all of what we're talking about. And she made up this table of medications that are in the family of benzodiazepines. And she was kind enough to try to make a basic schedule for how to get off of each one of them, depending on your starting dose. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I brought that to the attention of the new psychiatrist. And I said, here's the table for six milligrams out of them and how to get off of it. And so that was when I started the taper. So that's, I guess, the next part of it. But I'm just, I was answering how I got But on. is that, so would that, yeah, but would that, yeah. So the taper, would that entail a crossover? Did you? It did, it did. Um, the, the, the rationale in the Ashton Manual, which I think you've also pointed out, is a little bit dated because um, it was, you know, one person's life work and she was quite yeah. elderly and passed away a few years ago. So she did what she could with what information she had and what resources she had, but there should be, you know, people all over the world studying this and there should just for the simple fact that it's one of the most prescribed medications on the planet is benzodiazepines. Agreed. Millions yeah. and millions and millions of people are prescribed this every day. Yeah. Um, so, and the crossover asking. is heavily debated currently. So, and yes. I did mention that in one of my podcasts, I think that, you know, it should be an option, but it's 
I think, you know, it's so underestimated. So what, how did your crossover and reaction to Valium, how did that go? Not well. Um, so my table that was from the Ashton Manual recommended that, so Ativan and, Valium, and Xanax are short-acting benzodiazepines in comparison to, I believe, clonopin and, and Valium, which is, and there are other ones in other countries, but in America, those are the four main uh, benzodiazepines that are prescribed. So I was, um, my taper said to slowly cross to replace the Ativan milligrams with milligrams of Valium. And so we did that and we were working on that. And I once again put my trust in the prescriber and she messed up the crossover. And instead of bringing me down to a point where I was on half of Ativan and half of Valium, she crossed me over to entirely Valium. And so it took a lot longer because I had to every couple of days or two weeks or one week or whatever, move over from Ativan to Valium. So that took all spring and most of the summer. And you're not reducing when you do that. You're just simply substituting one benzo for the other. But yeah, again, yeah. I was really sick at, at this point, really sick and um, um, not sleeping, not eating very much. And, you know, I was still swimming and doing activities, still running my business and being a mom and all that stuff. But once I got crossed over to all Valium, I just like shut down. My body shut down, my mind shut down. I just couldn't function. I couldn't think well. And I could recognize right away that that was a lot of, of uh, that that was due to changing the medication because there would be no other explanation um, mm -hmm. for why that would happen. So, and then it was, you know, I, I was on the uh, web, uh, web forum for people at, who are having this problem and somebody pointed out sh that she did my taper wrong and I wasn't even aware of it. I was just sort of blindly following her thinking because when we first spoke, she reassured me that she understood a lot about this. And I really don't think she did. Um, Cause how, and then when I confronted her and said, um, I was, I just realized somebody pointed out to me that we didn't follow the Ashton taper correctly. And she was like, well, and once again, defensive, she was like, well, I wasn't following it exactly. You know, we have other ways to taper. I was Whoa. Doing it the way. Yeah. Whoa. So you're very yeah. specific at this point. Like, I want to taper this way. I want to cross over this way. And then she ends up saying, well, we do it differently. So you're being led to believe that she's going to, you know, implement the yeah. Astro Manual, but you go lie to again. So yeah. awful. Yeah. And, it, and it's a reoccurring theme for myself and for pretty much every person that I've ever met on uh, benzos that are trying to get off is that you kind of have to really be your own advocate because you constantly get misinformation or misled by doctors and hospitals and things where they assure you that they know what they're doing and they don't. And so it's true. And oftentimes when we start, we're so sick. So we are so sick and so desperate. So, and we're just kind of overwhelmed with this new reality that we're sick and that we need to taper and, you know, all these things are going on. So you want to be able to trust someone that's going to help you. But yeah, unfortunately, we're yeah. Compromised, uh, you know, neurologically compromised in this situation, in this time 
We don't sleep. I mean, anybody who's in great shape, everything's going right in their life who doesn't sleep can tell you that that's yeah. not, their brain is compromised. So imagine yeah. we have a medication that's harming our brain and our nervous system. Plus we're not sleeping. Plus, you know, we have our lives to lead. And I was just shocked, you know, at her response. But so that happened. So I immediately said, you know, I'm not doing well on this Valium. I, I, I think we have to go back to the Ativan. So it was basically a huge chunk of time wasted mm -hmm. um, and really disappointing. But, you know, I try to take everything as a lesson. And I think that was the final <laughs> lesson of like not paying attention to what the doctor is telling me and not being like on top of what's going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, no you shared with brain me. Foggy. I was, yeah. I was like, I'm going to pay attention now. Yeah, yeah. I tried my best as well when I was just deathly ill and barely able to think and not even forming sentences. It was really bad. But, you know, I ended up being my own advocate like you. So um, you shared with me that you um, were considering a detox and you went to a detox facility. Can you share a bit about that? <clears throat> yes. So I am, I go on a forum, Benzo Buddies, which is you know, people from all over the world. I have friends on there from England and the Netherlands and Greece. Me, yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh>. You, exactly. <laughs> and um, and just literally all over the world. I have a friend who's a guy in Greece who is a neurosurgeon. And he was put on benzos and is having the hardest time with the taper and withdrawals. And it's so mm -hmm. crazy. He's a neurosurgeon, but this isn't his. Yeah, benzos do not, you know, discriminate. They don't discriminate. No, not Doctors, at all. everyone can get sick. You know, yeah. In fact, in fact, you know, the fact that a person who's on benzos, I mean, I want to digress a little bit to make a point of what you just said because I think mm -hmm. it's important. You know, I I I realized by reading the forums that these are most people are pretty highly educated. They're pretty um, productive humans with jobs and children and homes and mortgages they are not this is not like street drugs you know mm -hmm. there's these are people who are trying to keep it together the life that they have you know I was a very happy person I have a mortgage I have a child I have a business um, mm -hmm. but by the way people write and everything and I was thinking about that and I was thinking yeah if you're a person that goes to a psychiatrist then generally you're sort of still in the mainstream of people productive people yeah um, yeah and you're not going to the corner to score benzos you know it's a mm -hmm. it's a totally different thing you're doing it in the you know in the mindset of i'm going to a doctor just like you would for any other ailment you know and i'm going to a professional a medical professional and and then you get in this horrible situation so but anyway um so i think what was going on with me so the reason i brought up is that i have friends all over the world is because they were telling me no don't go everywhere i turned on the forum i'm also part of a, a zoom that meets once a week and everybody was like do not go to the detox it's not good for you if you too rapidly decrease your amount of medication you could develop something called protracted withdrawal syndrome which means that mm -hmm. even after you got off the medication you could have horrible symptoms that could last for many many months if not years and i was terrified by that but at the same time i had become so 
I wasn't eating and I wasn't sleeping. These are two mm-hmm. functions of a human that yeah, you kind of need that to live. So long. Yeah, yeah, you, you need both to live. Yeah, for so long, right? Before you become incapacitated, sort of bed bed bound. You know, you're uh-huh. doing the very minimal that you can to make sure that your bills are paid. But as far as like being a parent, I was just like, you know, making the the worst meals for my daughter. <laughs> like we're having mm-hmm. spaghetti again. Like mm-hmm. you know, just like stopped swimming stopped painting I was really isolating myself because I had lost so much weight and looked like a ghost I was Mm -hmm. not sleeping I had dark circles I wasn't wanting to go out be social with my friends like I always do I'm a very extroverted person and I really isolated myself for a few months there like the summer went by and I didn't feel like I had a summer and I just mainly was concerned about getting back to being productive but most of all, being a good mom. Mm-hmm. And so I felt, and also I have so many close friends and they were really concerned about me and they got all together and they were like coming to visit me all the time and bringing me food and trying to cheer me up. And they didn't understand, like I only I knew and I try to say it, but like this could go on for a really long time. And as much as they loved me and they were being there for me, I felt a kind of pressure of that because I was like, I know they can't keep visiting me and bringing me food for the next year or two every day. Yeah. Week. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there was just a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And you were really so, sick. You weren't sleeping, you weren't eating. Right. So yeah, I right. get it. Yeah. And I didn't want that to go on and on, but more so it was the pressure of me wanting to be better for other people including mm-hmm. especially and, and most especially my daughter mm-hmm. and I just felt like I was putting that pressure on myself nobody else was but I was just like mm-hmm. and also I can relate I'm not, I'm not a medicine person so I was like okay I've had enough of this medicine screw this medicine I'm I don't take like I said medicines or drugs of any kind mm-hmm. and I just want this out of my life so I was like I know I'm taking a calculated risk, but I'm going to go into the hospital. I live in New York City. There's like really highly regarded hospitals here. I'm going to go to one of the best hospitals in the country and do this. And they and I spoke to them on the phone repeatedly. My best friend spoke to them on the phone. My mother spoke to them on the phone. Do you know how to manage this? Because from what we know, you can't just get off benzos like that fast. So you're saying we can how's it going to work? And they were like, we have supportive medication. We've seen this so many times. So many of our people have this problem, blah, blah, blah. It was all not true, <laughs> which is horrifying. But anyway, I packed up uh-huh. my nice suitcase with my nice clothes and comfy clothes and sweaters. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to be hard. I kind of visualize those movies you see where a person is like getting off heroin and they're in a bed. Right. Sweating they're and puking. Driving. They're shitting all over yeah. the place, whatever. But you're like, <laughs> it's, you know, if, if we yeah. all could just do that, like a month yeah. of suffering and then be done, we would yeah. totally all do that. You know, like, okay, exactly. it's a month of suffering, suffering, but we'll be off, you know? Right. Yeah. I know everybody says that they're like, if, and I've said it in my mind so many times, I was like, I will go through hell. I will walk through the fires of hell if it lasts for two weeks, but, uh, and then I'm done because mm-hmm. I can't keep living. Like this is a lifestyle at this point, you know, months and uh-huh. months and months, a year has gone by. So anyway, so I went and I walked in and it's a closed, it's a locked facility because 
not that I couldn't leave at any time, but it's literally locked and they take away your cell phone because there are drug addicts there and there are mostly alcoholics there. Um, <clears throat> and they don't want them reaching out to their drug um, dealers or their drug friends, or even if they have toxic relationships with their partner or their family, they just want them to be away from everything while they get mm -hmm. clean. So mm -hmm. I had to give up my cell phone. I had no computer and no real contact with the outside world except for a pay phone that was often busy with other people. And I go in okay. and it's very creepy and it's just filled with nurses and bare bones, like whatever. So I was like, okay. And, you know, it was, it was just, I mean, in a nutshell, they just, when I arrived, I was down a little bit on my medication. So I was on five milligrams because I had tapered myself. I was like, I'm just going to get rid of a milligram on my own. And it was terrible, but I did it. Mm -hmm. So they just started me out on five milligrams day one. And day two was four and a half. And day three was four. <laughs> day four was three and a half. You know, it was three and then two and a half and then two. Oh, and whoa. So it was literally like they just cut. Point a half a milligram every day and, and were they first, giving you other drugs to kind yes, of they were giving drugs like um uh at nighttime they would give you an antihistamine like a type of benadryl that makes you sleepy and go to sleep they would give you tylenol and things if you felt pain um but there wasn't really much that they could give you they could give you a muscle relaxer if you were having like muscle spasms or trembling um they gave you an anti-seizure medication the whole time because they don't want anybody to go into seizure um mm -hmm. and but but seizure medication and muscle relaxers and antihistamines do not make a dent in the withdrawal symptoms when they become acute you could give me um a, you know a bag full of that stuff and it wouldn't help oh i didn't know but, i didn't know that okay yeah no it doesn't do anything i mean but the thing was in the beginning of my stay there for the first few days i was still on high doses and i was still these drugs stay in your system and for a while so mm -hmm. you usually don't feel the withdrawal coming on the the day you stop taking a, a, an amount of, or the the last you know you if you cut a half a milligram but you're still on four and a half milligrams you you feel crappy but you don't go into acute withdrawal but so the first few days i was there i was okay and then i started to feel the anxiety creep in when i was down to about one and a half milligram and then it was one the next day and then it was a half a milligram the next day and by that time i was starting to feel really shaky sweating and chills and all kinds of like waves of anxiety rushing around and by the time it was morning zero i was like in the fetal position just white knuckling my mattress like i was just covered in sweat and then all of a sudden chills and then i was so um i had the worst uh it, I couldn't even describe it, but what I like to say to people if they want to try to understand it is, have you ever almost got in a car accident and like all the hairs on your arms just stand up and your stomach does these crazy flip-flops and your legs get mm -hmm. wobbly because you just mm -hmm. almost had a horrible car accident. You know, you just mm -hmm. stop the car mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my God. Well, that feeling, imagine it just 
constant and relentless for uh, hours, unending hours unending hours yeah, yeah. you wouldn't want to eat you wouldn't want to even open your eyes you don't want to uh -huh. talk i had people coming i was telling them you guys have to give me something this is unsustainable i can't function like this i can't be like this i was there was a clock at the end of my bed and mind you i didn't have a phone i didn't have a television didn't have anything there was a television in the common room but if you think i wanted to go into the common room with <laughs> 25 guys that's the other thing there was like two women besides me and everybody else was a guy okay oh, and okay. Uh, they would get so in fights and Oh, it was oh, terrible. So yes. you see every every minute of this clock. Yeah, you so see. I'm just staring at the clock, watching the minutes tick by. And I would just sort of wait like three horrible, excruciating hours and then just call the nurse and the doctor and be like, please, is there anything you can give me? And they just scratch their heads and look at me. And I was like, you guys, this is crazy. You swore you knew how to manage what's happening to me. And now that it's happening, you have no protocol in place. Like, what do you do for somebody who's dealing with what I'm dealing with? Every, I was having crazy twitching, all the muscles in my body, in my chest, my shoulders, my face, my legs, my thighs, my calves were just, you could look visually, you could see the muscles just twitching uh -huh. really strongly. It was crazy. It was like, look, look, my palms and my hands, the muscle below my thumb was just crazy twitching. And I was like sweating and I was like, you guys, please, you've got to give me something. And they just had nothing. They were like, we can give you more of the, the, the antihistamine. You can have it four times a day. I was like, this is insane. I said, if I wanted to just cut my medicine down a half a milligram a day for 10 days and then just be jumped off into this horrific acute withdrawal, I could have done that at home. Why would I come here to do that? Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. were supposed to have something to do for me when this happened that's what i thought the whole point was and they were just like well we can reinstate you and give you back benzodiazepines that's the only that's the only solution and i was like so so what did you do I came then here to get off <laughs> yeah um, it, i was like sitting up in my bed like back against the wall and i had a nurse on one side and a doctor on the other side and i was like by this time, I weighed like 98 pounds, which is, I haven't weighed that much since I was an 11 year old. And I was like a skeleton and I was like sweating. And I was like, I had this nurse on one side, the doctor on the other side. And they were like, you need to take the clonopin. And then the nurse would be like, he's right. You whoa, need to take it. they wanted to like, give you clonopin? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. And then they were like, we'll just give you a half a milligram. And I was like, I don't want to. I just went through hell to get to zero, you guys can't be serious that you want to give me the medication and they were like well you have to you have to I felt so pressured so I was like can you give me 0.25 and they were like yes and they gave it to me and yes it worked like the body is screaming for that stuff uh -huh. screaming for it and it's just it made me so defeated I was like fine just give it to me and what I was really planning in my mind was they were going to go home. It was like six o'clock in the evening and they were going to go home. And I was like, just give me it so that I can get my shit together and leave this place. Uh -huh. You know, the, all I was thinking in my mind was like, I've been here long enough. Everybody else here. No, nobody here used benzos on a regular basis. This is people who are alcoholics. They're doing cocaine. And if somebody handed them a Xanax, they would take it you know, as a party drug, 
they weren't mm-hmm. taking it like I was and they weren't on it literally every single day. And so when they had to get clean, it wasn't hard because they had never taken it regularly. Um, and as we know, it's the only drug that has this issue with the length of time it takes for your body to re recalibrate itself and get normal. So if you're on alcohol or you're on opioids, they have medications, supportive medications that help them get off of it. What are those medications? Benzodiazepines. <laughs> yeah. Benzos yeah. for five days uh-huh. so yeah. that they can sleep through the worst part of their withdrawals. And then mm-hmm. they wake up and then they feel like crap, but they are, have the alcohol out of their system. They don't get any more benzos. They eat a full meal. They get sleep and they're, you know, going to their AA meetings. It's a protocol in place. There's nothing in place for mm-hmm. us. There's nothing. No. And, and I think even that outrageous. maybe ben- it is. And I think maybe with benzos, perhaps it's the only drug that I know of that you can actually die from by not taking it if you're physically dependent on it. I'm not sure if I that's the case. I, yeah. I don't know. I think some of the others, it depends on the person's health. And, you know, I think if you're an alcoholic and you just cold turkey, and if you're one of the major drinkers, um, I think you can have severe withdrawals and possibly die, you know, by mm-hmm. having some kind of heart attack or thing like that. But I think in general, the benzos have a higher rate of that um, in terms of like, uh, you don't have to be like a heavy user or whatever. Everybody's so different and they metabolize mm-hmm. the drug differently. And you could just be surprised by I didn't have seizures. I was really lucky. I must, that was the other thing. I was, I'm always been an athlete. I very healthy. They took all my blood work and urine. They did a huge panel on me and they were like, you are incredibly healthy. You don't even have vitamin D deficiency. You don't have any deficiencies in anything. You don't have mm-hmm. any signs. You're, they took a x-ray of my lungs, a CT of my brain. They were like, your lungs are crystal clear. Your brain is normal. Like, I was like, well, that's good to know. Too bad I'm on this medication that's making me feel like a crazy person. But um, yeah, so, it's so annoying uh, that there's no test for us, right? So we yeah. can, and I hear I hear this a lot that people get their heart checked out because they're having heart palpitations or they're having all these symptoms, and they go to a neurologist and they can't find anything mm-mm. because there's just no test for, I guess, a GABA test or something where they right. can test that they're corrupted or whatever. So. Oftentimes, and you know, I think I have the same, we get misdiagnosed. Yeah. And they say like this, I I always, this one makes me laugh, even though it's so upsetting, but it's like, they're like, you shouldn't, that shouldn't be happening. I I can't count how many times people would say to me, well, that should, I would say, I'm really anxious, or I feel really sick, or this, that, well, that shouldn't be happening, as if they read the label, you know, for this medicine, and it says what should or shouldn't be happening. And if the you know, patient says it's happening, they're wrong. The label can mm-hmm. be right. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's another constant I always hear is like, when we describe what's going on, they're like, that's just not in the realm of possibility. And I'm like, I'm living it. I'm not uh-huh. a liar. It's like being told you're a liar and you're making uh-huh. up a, a health ailment. And I'm like, 
Please yeah, believe and me. I had the I same the thing. Last yeah. Person to make up a health ailment because I'm I don't I'm not like that. I don't want sympathy mm -hmm. for being sick. I want to be admired for being healthy. <laughs> same, you know? same. And then it's like we find the ASHA manual and we find the forums and we're like, oh, so basically what I've been having is actually classic. It's like yeah. all these symptoms are actually very really much related typical. to benzodiazepines. Yeah, yeah, really typical. Yeah. And you so know, you get out the of the forum. Uh -huh, yeah. Day where a yes. person writes in a new person and they're like, I'm having this, this and this. Am I crazy? And then everybody writes and says, No, you're not crazy. That's mm -hmm. so normal. Uh huh. So you get out of the detox facility somewhat tapered. Yeah, so but yeah, I basically escaped <clears throat> because I waited till the doctors left and then i knew that i get a little calm a little calmer in the evening plus they gave me that little bit of uh benzo and i just packed my suitcase i got all cleaned up brushed my hair put on my outfit makeup and i just went up to the nurse's station and said i'd like to leave now uh-huh <laughs> and, and they looked at me like i was crazy and they were like you're supposed to stay here through the weekend i think it was a thursday night and they were like, you're supposed to be here till at least Monday. And I was thinking, and I, I said, well, I'm going to go home because in my head, I was like, you know, I can sit here in my bed dying of suffering of horrible symptoms with no television, no nothing, or I can go to my house and do it. I'd yeah. rather be in my house, my comfy bed with my computer and be able to text and have my friends come over. So I just, and they were like, well, we have to ask the doctor. And then when they called the doctor, they said, they, he's, I, they came back to me and said, the doctor said, you can go. So I went, I went downstairs. I got a lift. I went from upper Manhattan to Brooklyn to my house. I walked in the door and I never once was called by any doctor. Oh, wow. They literally wow. left at nine at night after being there for like 11 days and they never followed up or checked up on me. I thought that was really wow. telling. Yeah, you know, they knew scandalous. that they didn't care for me properly, but um, but it was horrible. So, what ended up happening that the last day that I had been there, I didn't sleep the entire night. I didn't go to sleep, um, mm -hmm. in the hospital. So I watched the the clock go around twenty four hours, and I just couldn't take it anymore. That's why I left. When I got home, I also was like determined not to take any medication, any benzos, even though I had. A bottle of them at home but i said i've, I've gone this far i'm gonna i'm gonna push through this it's horrible i'll drink a little wine or or have a benadryl or whatever i have here that that could possibly calm me which in fact did not do anything because when your adrenaline is that high nothing mm -hmm. my eyes couldn't even close so i stayed home and i proceeded to stay awake for another two days Whoa. Two days and two oh. nights. So that was three Whoa. days of being awake and not wow. sleeping at all and dealing with this massive acute withdrawal. And it wouldn't abate at all. It didn't diminish one bit, like not even a notch. It wasn't getting less. And I was like, okay, this is really bad. I, I On the you know morning of the third night of not sleeping, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to take a different approach. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to take a tiny bit of one, a half of one milligram. And I took it and I relaxed because I couldn't even think. I couldn't even think, what do I do? Mm -hmm. What's the next step? What do I do if this isn't going to stop? 
And so doing that, I was able to make some phone calls and <clears throat> talk to some friends and they were like, well, you know, there's these private detox centers that you can go to. And I was like, no, 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 no. They're just going to do the same thing. But the one friend of mine was like, please just try it. Just try it. I mean, what have you got to lose? And I will make a long story short. It was hell and it was identical to what happened in the hospital. They did the same thing. They reinstated mm -hmm. me on what's the equivalent of three milligrams of Atticate Van. And then they just lowered my dose for one week and then put me on zero. And I went right back into that crazy shock and left there too. And then when I got home, I just decided that my dream of being completely off the medicine was just not possible and that a rapid taper is not possible and that everybody on the forums were right. And so what I did was I started by taking a half a milligram of my medication. And I, my idea was to just take a half a milligram more until I felt relief. And it ended up being 1.5 milligrams was enough to get me through a 24 hour cycle. And then mm -hmm. I determined that that would be the dose I was on from that point on until I figured out what to do. So every day I was taking three half milligrams throughout the day and I was able to function and think and try to figure out what to do. And what I decided to do was drive up to my family home, which is a few states away in Massachusetts, where I could at least be fed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And yeah. That was my goal. I was so sick from not eating I was just like really like a skeleton I could see all my bones and I I just thought well if I can't sleep at least I could eat and somebody will prepare meals for me of real good food and stuff and that did happen and I and I did eat and that helped and then I was able with the help of my family to think of a plan and the plan was to find somebody a, a physician here up near where I grew up um, who would work with me on tapering off of, on a slow taper off of the 1.5 milligrams. And so that's mm -hmm. actually where I still am right now, because all of this just happened in September and October. And, yeah. Um, I mean, so... it's perfectly fine. I'm still tapering. I'm stable at four milligrams of Valium. And, you know, if I had <laughs> my way, I would have quit Benzos last year, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, I... I'm, I've come to terms with my situation. Yes, it's shitty, but, you know, this is the only way forward. You know, I want nothing yeah. more to be free of them, but I know it's better for me and my recovery and, you know, have less, less chances for protracted withdrawal to just go slower. You know, it's just not exactly. like you said, my dream, it's just not possible. So, yeah. Right. So great. So um, in terms of people that might be hearing this and are thinking to... <laughs> get into a detox facility, what would you say or recommend or not recommend? I would say that um, if they approached it knowing my story and they, they wanted to try to get down on their dose, that's a possibility. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're on six, four, six, eight milligrams of Ativan, or you're on 50 milligrams of Valium or something like that. If you, if you approach it, like say, okay, um, they could taper me down and I could come out of there, you know, in two weeks and I could come out of there greatly reduced on my dose, but not off. 
you know, that's, that's a possibility. And then I would have to resume a slow taper after that. If you're in a hurry and you want to try that, you're still need to know that there's risks involved in rapid tapers um, because you can develop what's, this is complicated and people will have to research more, but you could develop, you're taking a chance that you could develop the protracted withdrawal symptoms by syndrome by uh, rapid taper. Um, but if you think that you're going to go into rehab, into detox um, and get off your medication and walk out of there like your old self, I would say that that's not going to happen and you will be wasting your time and money. Um, but, you know, it. they can provide you with meals if you're able to eat and they can provide you with a safe place where they monitor your vitals, make sure you're not going into seizure or your blood pressure is not dropping too low, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they make promises that they really can't um, keep because mm-hmm. they, everybody knows that um, you just can't get off the medication. I mean, I guess there's some few exceptions. There are people who will argue that you know, they were on something for several months and they got off it with no problem. But that's, I would say, the minority of people. And that's also just anecdotal and good for them. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. doesn't discredit the people who can't, you know. And Definitely. like I said, I, I was super healthy. There was no reason why I would be the one who can't just dump the pills in the trash and walk away fine. There was mm-hmm. no no pre pre existing condition that would explain that or anything. Um, I, I think that it's the minority of people who who could who could get off of this stuff very easily if they have been on it as prescribed for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Um, so so that's what I would say. I would say to them, you know, if you want to utilize a facility who can monitor your health and provide you with meals um, to to lower your dose. That's a possibility, but if you want to do it because you think you they can, you know, get you off completely, it's very, very unlikely. And right. it's unpleasant, and it could be costly, and so there's no magic bullet. You know, humans want things to be solved and to keep moving. We all want that, mm-hmm. but sometimes things aren't easily solved and they take time you know patience is something i've definitely increased my level of patience throughout all of this me too i'm like the least patient person that i know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and now in this in this whole benzodiazepine process i've just accepted um you know i'm reminded of jack hobson's book that i read the benzo book and he did a quote saying like nothing seemed to work except careful careful tapering and oceans of time. I'm like, at first when I read it, I was like, I don't have <laughs> oceans of time. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm embracing the oceans of time. Thank you so much for having yes. me interview you. Thank you for sharing your story. We'll be in touch. And okay. I wish you the Thank best you of now. luck, of course. Thank you. Okay, Thank bye-bye. You. Bye. So you just listened to the interview with me and Jenny. And I want to share my take on detox facilities. And I will start with a Dutch point of view in terms of what my options would be in terms of detoxing in my country. 
when I had my intake at the addiction facility that I'm currently officially still being treated by outpatient, I remember that one of the options that was presented to me was an inpatient program. And I remember she mentioned that to me, my psychiatrist, and I was like, but I'm poorly sleeping. That's it. You know, I wasn't having a lot of physical symptoms. I just, I was exhausted. That was it. And I really felt that I could just do this at home. Now, then we fast forward from that point a little bit to my acute withdrawal and just being so deathly ill and I almost died and all that happened and I'm so sick. I'm clawing my way through the days in the pits of hell. And I remember I felt such a large amount of guilt towards my partner who was seeing me suffer, who was seeing me having seizures. And I remember that I did think about maybe I should get an inpatient program. Maybe I should get committed because I'm just so deathly ill and I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's wrong. But I think I remember that I, even though I was really sick and even though I felt so much guilt towards my partner, I was like, I don't want to leave him alone. I don't want to leave him. I want to be with him. And I'm so glad that I did, though. I'm so glad. And I will tell you why. I'm so glad that I didn't do it because at some point I figure out that they don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. They don't know how to help me. They don't know anything about benzodiazepine withdrawal, long-term, slow tapers. They haven't heard of the Ashton Manual. So just I'm thinking like, what if I did get committed? What if I did make that choice? What would have happened to me? You know, Lord knows, because I think it would have ended up really badly because I would just be suffering and suffering and they wouldn't know what to do with me. Maybe they would do some sort of rapid taper. Maybe they would just pump me with drugs to kind of counter the withdrawal symptoms. It's horrible. And once I figured it out, like, I felt so unsafe with these people, unquote professionals, but they just don't know how to help us. They're not educated. So I was like, oh, gosh, I'm so happy. that I never went. I'm so happy. And this is my view really in general as well. Like people don't know how to help us. So I'm, I'm glad, you know, we have to become our own advocates when we're at our sickest in our entire lives. I don't think I'll ever be as sick as I was mentally, physically, everything. So I'm just glad that I, I never, I never did. I never did. And I, I never will either. I will never put my faith in these people. It may, I mean, if it were so simple, you know, going somewhere, being sick for a month and then be done with it, I would have done it. But no, no, I'm just so glad that I didn't do it. And I agree with Jenny. I think if there's a place for us where if we are like really sick and we don't know what's wrong with us, and they help us get stable and help us get informed and help us get on our feet so we can go home with a prescription of benzos and we can instate some sort of slow taper. That would be awesome. But the reality is it's it's not there. It doesn't exist. So we can only hope that one day that will be the case. But for now, it's not. Lastly, I want to refer to the Benzo Information Coalition. They've done so many great things for people that suffered and were harmed by benzodiazepines. I follow them on Instagram. I'm not very active these days on Instagram. Maybe that will come again. I don't know. But they share a lot of their posts and stories about why you should not go into a detox facility. They give good reasons. So I would check that out for sure. And I think I mentioned the Benzo Information Coalition in one of my previous episodes, but I think I mispronounced or so 
I'm setting the record straight as well. It's the Benzo Information Coalition and just great. They're just great. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash naftalbenestie.